Welcome to Be With Your Body. My name is Sarah Jane Chapman. This is a podcast about folks connecting to their bodies just as they are without needing to be any other way. Today I talk with Jamie Lee Finch. She is an embodiment coach. She's written a book called You Are Your Own, and she now has a course out that's called Your Body is a Person. So we talk about all of these things. We also talk about purity culture, and we talk about Jamie's whole experience of learning to connect with her body after being taught for years to that her body was not a person, but a thing, because that's what most of us are taught. So um, so many, so many gems in this one, and um, I, I hope that y'all pick up on some, some sweet tools and how to connect with your body. So enjoy. I don't want to hate myself, my body, or my mind. I still have a lot to unlearn. In the meantime, I'll be kind. It's not just me. It's systems of oppression make us small. This healing's not just for you and me, because really, it's for us all. So today, I'm chatting with Jamie Lee Finn. Hi. Hi. Hi, Sarah Jane. <laughs> it's so great. good to see you. I know. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to chat with you. I'm so happy you have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I When you reached out about it, I was like, that's the best idea ever. Oh. I, could, I honestly couldn't remember. I know you and I have talked in the past about like different like um, professional plans and things that you've had. I couldn't remember if podcast was one of the ones that you had ever mentioned, but when you told me you had one and you were like, do you want to do it? Like, it felt like the most obvious thing in the world. And then when I listened oh. to your, the episode you did with Megan, that was the first one I listened mm-hmm. to. And then all your cute songs. And I did, it was, <laughs> yeah, this is so great. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. That means so much to me. Yeah. It wasn't a big picture thing. And then I was like, I am just, having these same conversations with individuals. So why not just, and I know so many amazing people, you know, that I'm like, and and I don't know, it's so funny to me, like growing, going back to where I grew up. And then I feel like I'm having these conversations again. And I'm like, Oh, if you could just talk to my friend, Jamie, if you could just talk to this, like you would get this other angle of it. And then I'm like, well, why don't I just record these things? <laughs> yes. yes, I love that. Like, and now you can kind of talk to my friend yes. Jamie or my friend Megan or like my friend exactly. like, oh, these friends I have. It's just you're you can't really talk back. It's not you can't yes. they can't you hear you. It. Yeah. But you're hearing a lot of things from them, and that's yeah. good too. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm having folks introduce themselves. So if you could just share some things you identify with and as and your pronouns if you feel comfortable. Sure. Um, well, I'm, so I'm Jamie Lee Finch or just Jamie Finch or just Jamie, whatever. Um, uh, my pronouns are she, her, um, and wow, who am I? Um, who are you? Who am I? What a deep question. Um, well, so I am a human, but I, this, there's some things I do. And one of the things, <clears throat> excuse me, that I do, um, I'm an embodiment coach, um, and I work with folks of, all genders, all backgrounds, all races, all orientations, all body types, all shape, all size, all abilities. Um, because the work that I do is in teaching people to experience and refer to their physical bodies as a person with a personified mm. pronoun, like he, she, or they, instead of the use of the word it, which is very objectifying. And by way of that body negation, that like objectifying body negation, we are actually um, unknowingly participating in intersecting oppressive systems that are attempting to get us to believe our bodies are objects and therefore other people's bodies are objects and keep us stuck in these, um, yeah, webs of um, oppression towards ourselves and towards other people. Um, So it's kind of a large concept, but sounds really simple, but it's very it's complex in some way. Like, so I, I'm a coach. And so I typically work with people for about four to six months at a time, teaching this idea to them and helping them learn how to integrate it into their life. Um, and that's what I've done for about five years is work as a one-on-one facilitator. And I also just finished creating and finally released my very mm-hmm. first online offering. So it's an online course and it is aptly titled your body is a person because it's mm-hmm. a trying to teach people your body's a person 
speak about them and speak to them in these ways. And here's what could possibly happen. So, yes. And it comes with a beautiful workbook. It's so pretty. I have one right <laughs> so here. Pretty. Next Will you to hold me. it? Oh my goodness. Yeah. The it's colors. Oh, I wish you could smell so great. it. It oh. smells so good. <laughs> that might oh be a weird goodness. thing. It smells, it smells no, like books. Book. Yeah. Yes. It's yeah. really great. Who's the artist who designed so, that? Uh, my friend Ren, so Ren Kaltenhauser, um, they are actually, they were perfect for this, for this, um, mm-hmm. project because Ren and I first met at a workshop that my friend Caroline and I, we had a series of workshops in 2019 mm-hmm. that we were going to continue through 2020, but we all know what happened there sure. uh, and they're called permission granted. And so it was kind of an embodiment and photography workshop. And we took them to a bunch of different cities one of those was New York City. Ren came to the workshop in New York City. And then a few months later, Ren actually became a client of mine, a one-on-one client. And then Ren is one of like maybe three or four clients in the past five years who has made the successful transition to friend, as in like <laughs> they have mm-hmm. a personal phone number now, not just my work, yeah. but my yeah. personal number. And mm-hmm. they're a brilliant illustrator. And so um, the original person that was... Um, going to do this with me was, um, are you familiar? I think you might be familiar with on being in your body. Yes. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. Yeah. So Victoria and, yeah. and Caitlin, <clears throat> so they're amazing. Caitlin and I have been dreaming up creating this workbook together for a long time. And then Caitlin actually needed to take a step back in order to take care of themselves. And it was, a, sure. I'm so glad that they made that choice. Um, and so that left me with like half, like, Oh no, half, like there's a world of possibility. Mostly yeah. Caitlin's amazing. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And then, <laughs> yeah the idea of Ren just emerged and I cannot even begin to tell you how perfect it was Mm -hmm. to have them on this project. They're just, I mean, everything even down to Ren is non-binary. And so even the thought, the thoughtfulness of every body, every illustrated body in the workbook is like gender non-specific. So there's no, I'm trying to find a page with, oh, here we go. Here's a page with a whole bunch of bodies on it. So you can kind of see, this yes. is podcasting, by the way, I'm showing you images. And like, I know, right? Well, we'll post yeah. some pictures of oh, yeah, your, perfect. yeah, when I post Yeah, you it. can see like completely. And, yeah. and when yeah. I talked to them about that, they were like, oh yeah, that's on purpose. Cause I want this, this workbook and the content that this workbook goes along with to carry people through every season of their life mm-hmm. and as they mm-hmm. evolve with their bodies and even evolve with their gender and their presentation. Yeah. So just the level of, I mean, I cried when they told me that. I was like, I'm not surprised that you were that. So beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I'm thinking so many things. So it's so funny having the, like being a parent and like, there are times where I'm, I identify as a woman, but there are times where I do kind of feel like a genderless, like blob (laughs) so like I can relate to that yeah and then there's some folks I talked to in aging bodies and like how their experience of their body has like shifted and changed around not necessarily gender but like kind of you know I mean it's everyone kind of has their own experiences around it um so I also want to note that yeah you sharing that giving your body pronouns has been a a practice I've been doing because of your suggestion Mm -hmm. for years and it and it is really powerful so Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Um, oh, that's cool. I love when I hear that mm-hmm. from folks who are just like friends and not yeah. you know, clients, someone who's like, yeah. oh, I heard you talk about this thing. And so I want to pay you to teach it to me. Like, it's cool whenever it's just like friends and people that I know who have maybe mm-hmm. heard passing and they're like, oh, interesting. And then they'll yeah. pick it up. And yeah. I, what I really love about that too is you are you are occupying that mental and emotional space of treating your body like a person and interacting with your body like a person. And you're raising a child to learn how to interact with their body as a person. And that whenever, whenever it goes to that level, it gets me emotional. Like it's, <sighs> I just, cause I could, I like to imagine what could have been different in my relationship mm-hmm. with my body. Had oh. told me when I was young, Hey, your body's actually not an it. They're a person. They communicate with you the way you feel, that's information. That's, that's this person talking to you, your, your best friend, you know, your, your closest companion, your lifelong closest companion, they love you and everything they're doing is for you. And so that sensation you're feeling, that emotion you have, that pain, let's get curious about it instead mm-hmm. of like, let's shut it down. Let's avoid it. But it just, a lot of things could have been very different. So I love oh, yeah. thinking about your sweet child's developing brain. <laughs> like, oh, where's the yeah. 
Yeah. I know when I tell I tell her all the time I'm like good job listening to your body because we do like we really try to practice intuitive eating in this house so mm-hmm. we'll you know give her a dinner and we all eat together and then she'll say all done and I said oh are your is your belly full are you all done she says all done and he said okay good job listening to your body and then we like oh. take her away oh, <laughs> like I that's how that. we end every meal it's like oh. good job like I always check because sometimes she just wants to go do something else and I'm like sure. you got to make sure we're also is the sensation right. there that's what yeah. the, I love that you're like yeah. is the sensation that we're looking for is at present mm-hmm. rather than yeah. this, like either end of the spectrum of like I believe you or I just don't believe you mm-hmm. it's like can you check just check. There's a thing. Yeah, just check. Can you check? I'll believe you. Like, great. Cool. Got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so good. So, so tell me a couple of things that helped you to get to this point of realizing that your body is a person. It's a great question. I had someone else ask me that recently and I had to really sit and think about it. I was like, how did this happen? <laughs> I, I know it wasn't a moment. I know it wasn't like this, you know, revelation falls from the sky. And I was like, she's a person. It wasn't yeah. like a shift from an it to a she in an immediate mm-hmm. moment. Um, when I really think about it, I, I honestly think it tracked very much with two things that were kind of running parallel with one another, which was me um, leaving and deconstructing from my former religious belief at the mm-hmm. same time that I was beginning to become curious about my lifelong chronic pain that was actually lifelong chronic illness that I had no idea about until I started Mm. to get curious. And those two things actually really paralleled one another as well. As I started to become curious about why my body was feeling the way that they were feeling rather than just, um, again, ignoring or suppressing or noticing and then like noticing a sensation or pain and then becoming really hostile or, in my former religious space, it might've been like noticing a sensation or pain and then like deciding to pray about it rather mm. than get curious mm-hmm. about like, what are you, what's going, what did I eat? Or like, what, what are you stressed? Like, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. so I had just, I kind of reached this, um, breaking point with the pain and the dysfunction of my digestive system. And so it got me, I just, it sounds really almost silly and sim- so simple that it's silly to me now, but just, I started to be like, I wonder if I'm allergic to certain foods. Ta-da, I was, <laughs> turns out, yeah. I really, really was. Um, yeah, it turns out I have celiac disease. So like, mm. yeah, I mm-hmm. was super, yeah. no wonder my body was in so much pain. So yeah, so that process of becoming curious about my body, um, I would say probably got me to validate some of my emotional sensations as well as not just my physical mm-hmm. ones. And then learning how to validate my emotional sensations. A lot of the practices and behaviors I was engaging in, in my religious belief and the religion I was programmed into participating in mm-hmm. stopped making as much sense. Um, and so <clears throat> my departure from religion and my curiosity towards my body, um, I think the, those processes, because also the religion I was raised in evangelical Christianity there's a lot of like specific direction in even in like scripture or the way that people interpret scripture for you that tell you to experience your body as sinful, as bad, as broken. And even just as words like a vessel, an object in it, you mm-hmm. are, your body is a something that this divine force gets to manipulate and move around like a puppet. Like if you're good, like that's the way to be good is to just kind of be wow. empty of yourself and let this divine force like kind of move you around. So it's a lot of the, yeah, it's very objectifying. Yeah. So leaving that and then also becoming curious about my pain and my illness, it, that's when my body sensations and signals became information to me. And as mm-hmm. that information, as I started to acknowledge sensations as information, the information started to feel like communication. And I was like, well, Mm -hmm. inanimate objects, vessels don't communicate. There's nothing to say. And there's, they don't, it, the it of the the Mm -hmm. objects, like there's no, yeah, there's no communication happening there. Living beings communicate, people communicate. And so if I were to guess at what the process looked like from my best memory, it kind of followed that trajectory and the reasoning of how, like how I started to begin to refer to my body as a person is she just became a person to me. Like it just like validating the communication information and leaving a religion that consistently required me to refer to my body as a vessel, as an object, and especially as like a bad and broken one just made me be able to get really curious about who are you actually? Like, I don't feel like I know you at all. I feel like I've been angry 
I feel like I've been angry at this object that won't let me manipulate it in the correct way. To my <laughs> yeah. Own. She oh, was just yeah. becoming more alive than that to yeah. me. So, yeah. The, the pronouns steadily emerged from that. It just started to feel incongruent to call my body. Yeah. It, it felt, it started to feel kind of uncomfortable and even gross mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it just kind of emerged slowly over time from that. That's beautiful. Wow. Yeah. So you, you mentioned you heard the um, Megan Moss episode and she talked a little bit about purity culture. I know that that yeah. was, yeah, like a, and it's so funny. I feel a little bit like a foreigner in this land because I mm-hmm. wasn't raised with purity culture. And I know that especially for folks in the South, it's been like really, really oppressive to a lot of people. So what yeah. were some things that like, what were some things that started to feel free when you started to release the purity culture? Oh, wow. I mean, honestly, Sarah Jane, like everything. And yeah. And that felt really terrifying at first. It actually, yeah. Freedom's scary. Yeah. I didn't like when you're raised with intense restriction, there's something yeah. very comforting about that restriction. Um, and the, you know, you can apply that use of the word restriction to many different, many different areas. Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. I mean, the kind of obvious answer, most obvious one would be like my relationship to my sexuality mm-hmm. and even my own body's experience of pleasure. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, sex is super off limits in purity culture until you're married, but mm-hmm. self-pleasure, like masturbation, like exploring yeah. the body, even just sensual touching, like there is no space or room to interact or engage with your own physical body as, um, as it's already even put into words, like as, as yourself autonomously deserving of pleasure, um, yeah. you are really taught, especially if you're raised as a girl and like socialized as female inside of that world, it is, it's not even just the subtext. I mean, it is overtly taught to you that your entire, uh, relationship to sex and sexuality, um, has to be through this, through the lens of like, what your future husband is going to experience, not with you, but from you. And so, yeah, no room for you. And then, I mean, it's scary, right? Cause you're, I mean, I've talked to so many clients who were raised with this and got married. Yeah. They found themselves in their godly heterosexual marriage and sure. they're about their own bodies. So a lot of women that I've worked with who are just like, I didn't know how to have sex. And I didn't know, I didn't even know how to learn how to have sex because I had never even touched my own body. I'd never even, I didn't know what pleasure was even supposed to feel like. So I didn't know when I was close to it or far from it in my partnered sexual experiences. So definitely leaving that world and leaving purity culture, deconstructing purity culture while being single. And in my late twenties was very Mm -hmm. interesting because I didn't, I did have a lot of freedom to, to yeah. not just start going out and having, I mean, I'd already been having sex with people. Let's sure. tell the, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like learn how to try and have sex without all the shame and guilt, but also even just learning how to masturbate and touch my own body and explore mm-hmm. my own body without the shame and guilt. And now looking back on that, it's wild to me that yeah. there was so much shame I mean, I just have, I have like memories of being so curious as like 10, 11, 12, 13 years yeah, old. Of course. Yeah. And having just the overwhelming, like just it, the feeling of shame, just washing over I'm me. bad. Me mm-hmm. for days. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that definitely was one of the biggest things. And one of the first things that was altered in my relationship with my body. But I will also tell you that food was a big one mm-hmm. too, because yeah. again, pleasure is pleasure is pleasure. And this is something mm-hmm. that that's why I love listening to people like Megan talk about mm-hmm. purity culture. And I think it's like infinitely more interesting than listening to people like me talk about purity culture. Someone who's mm-hmm. in a, like a classically thin body. Yep. Um, someone who is fat and does fat activism work and came from that background had a much more damaging experience of the very patriarchal white supremacist, you know, white evangelical mm-hmm. purity culture I- idea. Because the way that fat girls' bodies were overtly sexualized and also vilified at the same time was very different than my thin body as a, as a thin Mm -hmm. girl. And so like, again, and this is something like every, it's like the biggest open secret. Like I could wear 
uh, a shirt that like, like similar to what I'm wearing now, again, mm-hmm. great podcast. Like a tank top. The shirt I have now, yeah. a tank top. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, if it's a certain, yeah. a certain amount of fingertips wide, right. this was really a check God, in, yeah. in high school, like then it's acceptable. You could have the same tank top, exact same design of a shirt on someone in a larger body. And suddenly the, the, the tank top is now unacceptable. And you mm-hmm. also had a lot of the, I know I'm getting off track a little bit from the food thing, but this is, this is roped into yeah, no, it's related. This, like restriction is obedience. So that's sexuality, that's food, that's all of it. I mean, they were like, you know, church sponsored workout and diet, you know, Oh my God. Classes. Yeah. So <laughs> you just had this experience that I can't speak to, but I've been taught by a mm-hmm. lot of people who were fat when they were younger and had to navigate the purity culture, you know, arena things that I did not realize were being spoken to them and said to them that were completely missing me because I was in a thin body. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that, how that gets us all the way over to food is I had this relationship with food where, I mean, probably unsurprisingly and, you know, trigger warning for anyone with disordered eating in their history. um, My restriction of food, my, my intense restriction of food was something that nobody taught me slash nobody caught slash nobody was paying attention to telling me was like, this is dangerous and this is actually not good for you because of the language I've been raised with, with like restriction equals holiness, obedience, goodness. Mm -hmm. It's like an extension of purity, right? Mm -hmm. It is. And so again, then, so then you have the difference again of people in thin bodies and people in fat bodies. Like, you know, I said, I know I'm just harping on the gender thing. I can't speak to the male experience, but like girls who the expectation is regardless of what I'm doing with food or how I'm interacting with food, because I'm thin, the expectation is, oh, you must be healthy. You must have a healthy relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Flip that around for girls who are fat and girls who are in fat bodies, like being raised in purity culture. The automatic expectation is that you must be, you must have some sort of disordered, wrong, bad relationship with food simply because this is the body you have. And then yeah. you get to the purity culture nonsense of like, you, you know, as a girl, the highest thing you can aspire to be as a wife, but there's no examples of, so yeah, there's, there's, you're very, and I've had so many clients tell me that like their experience, what they were directly taught or told is that like, you will not be chosen to be a wife until you lose weight. Oh no. Yes. I know. I know. I know because, because again, you're not as holy as you could be. It flies under the veil of like fat phobic body shaming. Mm-hmm. We don't care about the size and shape of your body. We just know this is an indicator that you're not being as obedient and as holy as you could be if you are thin. So, you know, the way that God gives you a godly husband and brings you into this godly marriage is by you being obedient and good. So clearly you're not as obedient or as good as you could be because you're fat. So you need wow. to become it is, I mean, it's wow. So, it's so layered, Sarah Jane. It's very, oh. yeah. And it's stuff that, you know, I, I was raised in it and raised among yeah. it. And the, the sexual shaming, the forced restriction, like all of those yeah. things were obvious to me for a long time. The fat phobia of purity culture did not become obvious to me until like a couple of years ago. Yeah. It, because it is so accepted. Also, you know, fat phobia is like the most widely universally accepted form of mm-hmm. like, you know, prejudice and, um, yeah, for sure. still existing on our planet. So yeah, like, truly. Again, mm-hmm. nobody's seeing it. Nobody's seeing it as a problem in that. Right. So, right. Oh, yeah. we're doing it for your health. We're doing yeah. it for, right. Oh right. God. You know, right. it's so wild. So thank you for breaking all that down because I'm realizing obviously the Christian culture has a huge impact on just American and Western culture too. And so it's so interesting. I mean, we're the same age and you sharing your experience of like being a preteen or a teen and like learn, like masturbating and then like having those feelings. Like I was just talking about this with my best friend who we were friends when we were 11 and like having all of these like, Oh, Oh, you're, Oh, you're bad. You're, you know, I, I know you've seen, um, pen or pen. Yeah. I was yeah. just gonna, I was just yeah. gonna, that episode is so real, <laughs> but I'm thinking back to that and I'm like, Oh my goodness. You know, I like, I was, I guess, quote unquote, raised Catholic, but like, we never really went to church, whatever. Definitely mm-hmm. not to the level that like you and Megan have shared that you experienced, but yeah. I'm just like, wow, how pervasive is this Christian culture that it's affecting people who don't even, aren't even like actively involved in it. Yep. That's exactly right. And that's something that 
in the book that I wrote about, you know, the impact of evangelical Christianity and the harmful impact psychologically and physiologically. You are your own. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's something that I talk about in there that as I was researching to write it, because it was my thesis, Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily intend to like write a book. It was just what I needed to write to graduate. And then, yeah, there it was. And people wanted to read it. So, um, so as, so a lot of it was very much like I'm learning, uh, about this phenomenon that I experienced as I'm writing this book. And so some of the things that I was coming across from some of the sources I used was, were people finally putting language to that, that I had sensed, Mm -hmm. but hadn't really known how to describe was this idea that what occurs inside of evangelical Christianity or the beliefs inside of it, like they're not benign for a thousand reasons. They're not benign, but also they don't just stay inside of, you know, the bubble of that. Like, it's not like if you don't believe in evangelical Christianity or if you weren't raised with it, Mm -hmm. it doesn't affect you at all. I mean, these things get into these beliefs um, and ideologies, like find their way into, I mean, our legislation. Politics. Exactly. Like, Mm -hmm. and this is something that I've talked about before where I'm like, no, it really matters if the person that was put in charge of, oh, I don't know, um, you know, tending to a global pandemic. Uh, it really matters mm-hmm. if my um, it really matters <laughs> if they believe mm-hmm. in science, um, if they validate the information from like epidemiologists, um, or if they believe in a literal six-day creation. Like it matters for someone who is supposed to be like heading up like a task force of, of, you know, how to defeat this virus. It matters if they believe in evolution because mm-hmm. of viruses evolve. If they don't, As we see. Oh, yeah. yes. So yeah. yes, within a year, precisely, yeah. mm-hmm. precisely mm-hmm. But like these things absolutely. And we're seeing the same thing, you know, we're talking, I don't know when this is going to air, but we're talking in the uh, kind of immediate aftermath of yeah. some really horrific legislation that was passed in Texas Mm -hmm. functionally banning and, you know, banning all abortion access in that entire state. And again, it's like, this is a religious belief, not a scientific one. What the fuck is it doing in our legislative policies? Mm -hmm. Like this, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, it's when you aren't in it and you like, if you're not one of the people who believes in it and you like step back with enough objectivity, it's insane. Actually. Like, I, I yeah, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Like the fact that I don't believe in the Bible, I don't yeah. believe. Why would that affect my body? Why mm-hmm. does your religious mm-hmm. belief get to dictate my healthcare choices? But that's an absurd question for people who have that religious belief because they're like, well, it's supposed to. Like they don't actually want a democracy; they want a theocracy. Like they want everyone in this country to believe the same religion as them. Yeah. And they're just not being intellectually honest about it. Um, I could. Mm-hmm. I'll never respect it, but I could like uh engage with it a little bit more if they were just being fucking honest about it yeah but they're Mm -hmm. not they're not being so yeah it's just a very and meanwhile these people who are the same people who like you can't tell me to put a mask on my body my body my choice you can't tell me what to do (laughs) yeah yeah. well it's like okay so so we can't ask you to just you know take consideration of the other living human beings around Uh you but you want me to alter my entire life and affect the life of this person that's inside of me too. Right. Precisely. <clears throat> and and you know, it the, could be in a harmful way. <laughs> yes. And one of the things that came up in the actual court case for Roe v. Wade um, is when mm-hmm. the lawyer who, and her name escapes me right now, when she was arguing the case, obviously they got to the, the point where it was like, you know, let's, let's hypothetically consider fetal personhood. And so there's this, um, and you can actually listen to like the court recordings mm-hmm. like of, Interesting. of the Ruby Wade cases. Yeah. And there is this point where there's someone who basically asks her, like, I mean, this is me super paraphrasing. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. It comes yeah. It's been a little while mm-hmm. since I've listened to it, but essentially the question is, po- it's not really a question. What's, what's posed to her is, well, if, if the, the fetus is a person, doesn't that settle it? And she's like, does it? Because and again, this is a hyper paraphrase. Because isn't the pregnant person still a person? And she uses mm-hmm. this phrase where she's like, and I think it's um, a balancing of interests, I think is the phrasing that she mm-hmm. uses. She's like, you have to recognize, it's her way of saying you have to recognize, even if you are acknowledging, even if you decide, which yeah. 
life, life beginning at conception is not a scientific belief. It's a religious one. Mm -hmm. So even if Mm -hmm. we decided in this country to be like, yeah, that's the one we're going to adopt across the board. You still don't have a solution to the question of, uh, pregnancy termination or abortion care, abortion access, Mm -hmm. because it's not like, Oh, well, the fetus is a person. So problem solved. We need to take care of the person. She's like, hi, hi, pregnant people. Yeah. I'm still a Mm -hmm. person. So then Mm -hmm. you have this question of the balancing of interests. And so that's the thing too, that when you talk with people about this, it's like my, which body personhood, my personhood suddenly goes out the window. The moment that I become pregnant or potentially become pregnant, which really what you then have is uh, legislation being passed um, that considers me permanently a pre-pregnant person. Mm-hmm. I'm just pre-pregnant. I'm just not. You're not a human. Yet. I'm not. You're, a, just, yeah. you're just a walking vessel for someone right. that might come into your uterus. For this job point. that I'm supposed yeah. to do later. Mm-hmm. And that's my whole purpose of being here. So yeah, it's the, yeah. I'm not even sure how we, oh yeah. Beliefs, evangelical <laughs> beliefs informing public policy. That's how we everything. There because mm-hmm. we are living in it. And that's why these things absolutely matter for us to be educated about. And to, um, I'm very, very tired personally of seeing uh, the media and just seeing, you know, even people who are supposed to be like religion reporters. I'm really tired of people treating evangelical Christianity as if it isn't, um, an extremist religion that, um, I mean, is responsible for terrorism. Like, I mean, it just, I'm fucking, I don't, I'm so Mm -hmm. tired of it not being taken seriously um, Mm -hmm. because it's the one we're used to. And it has, it is, I mean, it has disastrous consequences. I go into this in the course when I'm talking about, you know, who taught us to hate our bodies anyway, and to be with our bodies in this way. Um, I talk about six, big intersect six oppressive systems that all intersect with one another. So one of those being authoritarian religion. And here in, you know, the United States, at least in the Western world, our biggest authoritarian religion is evangelical Christianity. So that is something that when I'm naming these six oppressive systems and talking about how capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy, ableism, fat phobia, and evangelical Christianity has taught us to objectify and hate our bodies. That is something that when I'm talking about evangelical Christianity, I kind of spell out that I'm like, this is responsible, like these beliefs just being unchecked and able to integrate into our kind of cultural zeitgeist is responsible for like so many public health emergencies, just <laughs> ongoing public health emergencies. Yeah. I mean, not, well, I mean, uh, from my own experience, I, you heard beeping earlier, it's my new insulin pump that I'm still mm-hmm. like navigating and have being a person with a chronic illness, as you know, it's fucking expensive. Yes. And it's like emotionally and physically taxing. And um, yeah, it would be nice if <laughs> the government could, you know, help us fund some of that, you know. Rather than treating us like it's some uh, sort of like, like individual fault. moral failing that we, mm-hmm. yeah. And there's the ableism of it all. Like, the, it, oh, yeah. True. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Ooh, oh, my goodness. All that. Okay. So. I would love, we're going to pivot a little bit. Tell me mm-hmm. how you like to connect with your body these days. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. How do I, well, honestly, summer's really hard for me and my body. And mm-hmm. so oh, I remember, yeah, oh, mm-hmm. man. So I am coming, I feel like I'm emerging now mm-hmm. into my space where I'm like, oh, we get to hang out again because <laughs> yeah. a lot of summer is just honestly, so I'm just trying to get through it. And so there's some kind of like intentional dissociation going on in order to just like try and get through summer. Um, So one of the ways that I feel like once this airs, this will be true because I'm doing it this week. Um, It's finally not so hot that I can't try out my new roller skates. Um, So yeah, I I have a friend who also skates and has been skating for a little bit. So Mm -hmm. I texted her because I know myself well enough to know that like, I'm going to feel really self-conscious as like a 33 year old woman trying to go skate by myself for the first time. Cause I don't know how I'm going to be on these skates. Um, Mm -hmm. So I texted my friend Abby and um, we're going to go skate together this week. And I, I had sensed for the last couple of months and I was like, I think my body wants that because I love, I mean, I love neighborhood walks. That's a way that I connect with my Mm -hmm. body. I love just like gentle um, restorative movement. And also I, the sense that I had is that I needed something that felt more playful. 
I need something mm-hmm. that feels really playful. And dancing is fun. That's how I connect with my body too. But again, I just, I needed something new and different. The other big one that's actually quite a pivot from something like roller skating, like quite different. Um, I do like heavy lifting. So um, squat, deadlift, overhead press, bench press, like that kind of stuff. Um, And I've been doing it for a really long time, but I actually just recently started working with like a lifting coach. Um, And so we do it as a, at a distance, we do it like through an app and she's been super great. And it just, I mean, it has me, so working with a coach has been really interesting because there's, she has a lot of like specific form corrections that she's Mm -hmm. telling me about and like subtle, seemingly subtle things, like make sure your hips are up higher or like bring your arms in more or like shove your elbows out. And like, so I'm becoming extremely, even more than I already was mindful of these minor adjustments and how much they Mm -hmm. change. And so like, even like the way I'm holding my breath at certain moments, like, and even just the correction she had, me adjust for my deadlift just in the last couple of days where she's like, cause she can see on the videos that I send her like where I'm breathing and how I'm breathing. And so she's like, I want you to be thinking about your chest, like right when you're taking in the whole mm. breath, like, so that it brings your hips up and brings your chest up. Like, and so she had me try this thing where I put my hand on my chest and she's like, try and breathe in a way to where it moves your hand up. And so when mm-hmm. you're in the position where you're kind of in the dead, getting ready to lift, breathe like mm-hmm. that. Don't just breathe. So it's like your chest lifts you up. Yeah. Breathe it so that your chest lifts you mm-hmm. up. So those, man, I just, I've been so yeah. tuned in and so focused on these subtle movements and motions and shifts and changes that have been, that have made my experience of lifting even more impactful for how I connect with my body. It already had been, I swear, like nothing makes me breathe more deeply than like heavy squatting or heavy because you got to breathe really deep but yeah. I feel like yeah. it's almost meditative it's a struggle but it's almost meditative because of how deeply I'm breathing and how intensely I'm focusing on just doing this one thing just stand up under this weight literally and figuratively mm-hmm. just like stand up yeah. under the weight <laughs> yeah and that's your only job. That's the only thing you're here to do. Just do it five times. And then you can rest for like five whole minutes and just like mm-hmm. feel how it feels to be in your body. It's just very, yeah, it feels very sensory to do that. You have to be so present. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yes, you really do. Because yeah, you're not gonna, uh, the best way to you know how to put it is it, it scares me a little to think about how I could injure myself if I were to be lifting like squatting and deadlifting and do, working with heavy weights while distracted in it, like while mentally or emotionally distracted in any yeah. way, you could really hurt. You could hurt yourself. You I've be seen it. Very yeah. Present. Yeah. I've had mm-hmm. clients who've done that before and, and it's scary. Yeah. Cause you're yeah. lifting heavy weights and yeah, you could even just like having one shoulder a little higher, all these little things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I love it. So you're finding some playful movement, some joyful movement with roller skating. And then you're also like focusing with deadlifting, anything else that's really helping you to connect with your body these days. I know I just mentioned like very briefly mentioned it, but you know, I, I moved to a new apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on a totally different side of town than the one that I lived in for like seven mm-hmm. years. Um, and this is a really walkable neighborhood that I live in. Mm. Um, I'm near kind of Belmont University. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's beautiful over here. And there's yeah. so many like old mm-hmm. homes. And mm-hmm. so I, every morning, not every morning, most mornings since I moved, yeah. um, I have been waking up and going on like a phoneless walk around mm-hmm. my neighborhood for anywhere between from like just 20 minutes to like an hour, like, you know, usually something like somewhere between one and three miles, probably. I don't yeah. know. I'm not tracking it. Yeah. I'm just walking into and I'm, yeah. and I'm paying really close attention to just how I feel on the walk and just like, yeah. do I want to turn around yet? Like, and realizing that there are times where my brain will be like, we should, we should go home. There's stuff to do, but I'll check in with my body and my body physically is really enjoying this. Like, I'm just, it feels, the air feels oh really good. The sunshine yeah. is, good. I'm like, why would I turn around? Like, why would I cut yeah. this off? Mm-hmm. Like, that's not why I'm moving my body right now. It's not like I'm going yeah. to the gym and getting on a treadmill. I'm walking around my neighborhood because I want to feel how it makes me feel. So it yeah. helps me kind of like rein in my brain and be like, whatever it is there is to do, yeah. 
to it 20 minutes later than we would, this feels good right now. Just, yeah, it's like gentle movement. That is a really deeply sensory experience mm-hmm. in my neighborhood and meeting so all the beautiful. dogs and looking yeah. at all the and yeah smelling the plants and yeah, yeah I'm becoming like acquainted with certain pl- like I'm recognizing certain plants which feels cool mm-hmm. where I'm just like oh I know what that one is like that's it mm-hmm. one day I yeah. would like to be able to get to that point with birds I really want to learn oh about birds I'd really love oh to like God. be able to identify a bird from their call that just sounds yeah. really so. That's hilarious. My mom was here this past weekend and we have, we're right near Shelby Park now because we moved and we have, a t- we're in like this little valley. So we've got so many birds around and she was like, that's a cardinal. Oh, that's the morning. Like she knew some of them. And I was like, okay. I love that. Uh, Honestly, yeah. that sounds to me like a superpower. It just sounds, yeah. it sounds so cool. <laughs> I want to do that. I love it. Oh. So tell me one last thing. Is there anything else you can share about your course? like how folks can access it or other things they might receive from it? Yes. So again, some of that will kind of depend on like when this airs. Um, yeah, because... probably mid-October. I'm okay, thinking. great. Cool. Um, so may or may not be at that point in time, basically right now, the time where mm-hmm. we're talking, the plan is to um, have the course open two times a year for enrollment. Mm-hmm. And so it was open for the month of August and we closed it. And actually today the day we're talking is like the day where like the doors open and people get to see it and like experience it for the first time. Um, okay. Cause you know, we needed some time to like send the workbooks out and stuff. So yeah. Um, yeah. So there, if you go to course.jamieleefinch.com um, mm-hmm. at this moment in time, it will either be a page where you can enroll in the course or it will be a page <clears throat> where you can enter in your email um, that puts you on the wait list essentially to mm-hmm. know when it's open for enrollment again. Um, it's very possible that soon we're going to be opening it up for kind of permanent enrollment whenever you're ready for the going through it on your own DIY version. And that will still keep it, you know, two times a year to enroll in the version that includes group coaching. So like Mm -hmm. biweekly sessions with a group of people processing what you just learned in the module that you just went through. So um, yeah, that's how you can kind of either enroll in it now or find out when yeah. you can. Is yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and how it works and what people will get from it is, um, it's lengthy and that's on purpose. It's very deep. It's very detailed. Um, it takes about 14 weeks. It's designed mm-hmm. to take that amount of time because again, like I'm a one-on-one facilitator who for years has worked with people for like up to six months at a time, sometimes maybe yeah. even longer. So I know that <clears throat> this concept of body personhood And this relational framing is not something that you can just kind of intellectually grasp and then like be along, be along your way. Like Mm -hmm. you you can kind of, but it's just, there's so much to it. There's so many layers to like what this really means. And honestly, in order to teach people about what body personhood is and how to do it, um, you actually have to teach people why it's necessary first. And in order to teach Mm -hmm. people why it's necessary, you have to teach people about like, let's talk in really plain terms about what it is that you believe about your body now, because we got to talk about what you've been taught to believe about your body. So the course, 14 weeks, seven modules, each module unlocks, um, and you have like two weeks. It's not like it goes away. When you purchase it, you have lifetime access to the course. Mm-hmm. But when, <clears throat> when you enroll in it and you begin it, I pace it out for you to make sure you take yeah. it. So when you first enter into it, the first module is just a welcome module, you know, getting you kind of acquainted with what we're going to be doing. Um, there's some uh, supportive tools, like some grounding tools, some meditative tools, some breathing techniques to help you. Mm-hmm. If anything in the course is intense or triggering at all, you can come back to this and I'll kind of virtually lead you through how to center yourself in your body. And that's important because in the second module, we start to talk through in those really plain terms about the existence and impact of capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy, authoritarian religion, ableism, and fat phobic diet culture. And so the point of the second module is here's what you've been taught to believe about your body. And here's how you've internalized those beliefs towards your own body and other people's bodies. And here's how that's likely manifested. So the way I've said it before is I kind of have to bum you out before I lift you up. Like I, I really, <laughs> yeah. 
what the problem yeah. is before the third module where I introduce you to the solution of the problem or, you know, a, a key to how to be with your body in a way that is better than these objectified ways you've been taught, which is body personhood. So that third module is talking to you about what it is, how to do it, what's possible through doing it. I share some stories, like personal stories of mine, like what the shift has facilitated. And then also um, without any like specifically revealing information, obviously I share just some anecdotes of breakthroughs I've seen with clients before, like what's possible in doing this. And then after that third module, you go into the fourth one and the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh modules are each dedicated to one of the core facets of the practice of body personhood. And they go in an order, but you know, when you practice this in your real life, you'll weave in and out of them. So one is um, self-compassion. The second one is self-curiosity. The third one is self-communication. And the fourth one is sustained self-connection. And so Mm -hmm. in each one of those modules, there's about three or four lessons um, that includes each one of those modules includes like one practical exercise or, you know, one practical thing that we're doing to connect with our bodies in the way that we just talked about in the lessons. So Mm -hmm. very, very detailed, very, um, possibly some people would maybe describe it as very intense, possibly, probably. Um, but again, all of that is on purpose because I really, I really don't want this to just be something I've said this before, but like, when I was creating the course, I learned from the team of people that was helping me create it, that the online, like the completion rate for online courses is 15%. And (laughs) I've experienced it myself from my, my I'm, I'm in the 85. That isn't the 15 because I haven't finished courses. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I, I recognize that from an industry standpoint or from a capitalistic point, like that's still success for the person who made the course. I've got your money. So like whatever you do with it is like your business, but I like genuinely really want people to want people to be free. And I really want want them. Yeah. I really want people to learn like your body's not only a person, they're such a good person and they really, really love you. And I really want people to do that. So I have done as much as I possibly can to make this something that people want to finish and want to complete and want to mm-hmm. learn and go through. And so that's the intentionality of everything from the physical workbook to like a new module unlocks every two weeks so that it re- like you remember like, Oh, I have a new one. Like yeah. let's go to the one. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so exciting. I mean, this is, this is the work. I mean, and this is, I'm, I'm so happy this course exists because so many people need this. I mean, I wish this course existed 10 years ago. <laughs> Me too. <You> know? yeah. <laughs> I wish someone had made yeah. this course so I could have taken it so that I yeah. didn't have to learn my way into making it uh, <laughs> through lots of suffering, both, yeah. you know, in the professional process and also a lot of the personal yeah. experiences of, but either way, I, yeah, thank you for saying that. I, sometimes it feels a little weird for me to be the person saying like, I believe, like, I believe this is yeah, yeah. and like, not just life-changing, like individual life-changing, but world-changing. Oh, 100%. Because I mean, yeah. as like the kind of tagline of the course, which is on the book, it's everywhere in mm-hmm. it, is that this idea of body personhood is this seemingly simple shift that actually holds the key to both personal healing, yes, which is what I think many people are motivated by yeah. and doing embodiment work, but also it holds the key to collective justice as well oh, because that is so true. as important, as important as personal healing, oh. because if we can create a more just and healed society and culture, the things we have to heal from personally are, are far less often and frequent and far less impactful. Um, and so that's why we name things like white supremacy and patriarchy and ableism. And in, in this course, we're not just talking about, the direct trauma and impact of the trauma that's happened to you and your direct lived experience. We're also talking about how traumatizing these oppressive systems are to just have to survive and live through. And especially if you're a person that lives in a body that has multiple marginalized identity, Mm -hmm. like it's hard to be here. So the point of this course, again, is not just to get us as individual people to a point where we feel better about our bodies. It's also to create a more just, um, 
culture and more just society for how we are interacting with other people's bodies too. Yeah. Like in my song, mm-hmm. see if I remember my own song, <laughs> this healing's not just for you and me because really it's for us all, you know? <laughs> I love, that's really cute. I really, I was just like, I'm, again, this is bad podcasting because yeah. I really wish people could have seen your face as you did that. <laughs> your own face lit up. I'm hiding. I'm hiding. It was so cute. Like, song. Oh, I got it. And then you were so proud to sing it. That was really lovely. I really enjoyed that. Oh, thanks. But yeah, I mean, that's, but that's what it is though. We all yeah. need, it's, you know, it's like, we can do this work for us and for me and you and the people that we're talking to. But mm-hmm. if we, if it's like the ripple in, um, yes. in 12 step recovery, they call it attraction rather than promotion. Right. So if you like do this work for yourself and you're just like living your life and being like, my body's a person, I'm an embodied person. Mm-hmm. Other people are going to be like, what's that like? How do I, mm-hmm. how do I get that? And they're like, come on over. <laughs> Gates open. Come on over. I'll tell you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's right. Come on in. The water is just fine. Oh, perfect. It's perfect. Oh. Jamie, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to link to all that in the show notes. And I, and I hope that folks like as they're doing this work, start to access your course and, and start to, you know, on a more intimate level, really to do this work for themselves. Mm -hmm. Me too. Thank you. This is, this is really fun. It was so good to see your face. It's so good to see your face. Such a delightful (laughs) conversation. Thank you so much. Here's one thing that you can do to be okay with being you. Here's one thing that you can do to be okay with being you. We're just going to take a page out of Jamie's book, literally, about um, seeing what it feels like to use pronouns for your body that feel more most affirming to you. So if you are used to calling your body a it, um, what would it feel like to call your body a she, he, they, them, whatever feels affirming to you? And, you know, as I shared in the episode, I Jamie introduced this idea to me a few years ago. And ever since I started to make this transition, and then I also offer that to other people, I'm just like, oh, like, my, you know, someone's like, oh, my body feels whatever. And I'm like, how is she feeling today? Right. Just offering it to other people, too. Obviously, if you know their pronouns. And um, it really does feel like it does help me to connect to myself a little bit more. Where I'm just like, yeah, you are a living, breathing being. And and how can I listen to you and how can I be in relationship with you like I would any other being that I am in relationship with? So definitely check out Jamie's courses uh, or her course and um uh and then you know check out her book and um you are your own which is really great i'm i'm gonna link to all that in the show notes and um yeah i hope that you feel like you can help to connect your body a little bit more through some of these tools we will chat soon bye that's okay if your body's changed and that's okay if your body's changed That's okay if your body's changed and why would you expect them to stay the same when in fact everything does change?